This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com you're listening to the Cersei podcast network I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 76, The King of Infinite Space. Today's proverb comes from Ernest Hemingway. I'll read it twice. It is awfully easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime, but at night, it is another thing. Once more. It is awfully easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime, but at night, it's another thing. This is my favorite single sentence from any 20th century novel. Sun also rises. And I wouldn't claim that this is the wisest line, the most perceptive line of any novel in the 20th century, but it is my favorite single sentence from any 20th century novel. If I could take back every sin I've committed before dark or every sin I've committed after dark, I would choose the latter. And in so doing, I would take back far more of my sins. And I say this despite the fact that very little of my life has taken place after dark. Like most people, I spend most of the night asleep. Man was not meant 
to live in the dark. I think that's one of the reasons why this is true. That it's hard to be hard-boiled or... We all become sentimentalists at night. We all become fearful at night. Man wasn't meant to live in the dark. A few days ago, my youngest daughter, who's in fifth grade, came out of her room and spoke to my wife a little away from my hearing and she started to cry. My daughter, Beatrice, did. And I was in the next room working on something and I knew that she was crying. And Beatrice and my wife, Paula, spoke for a while and then Beatrice went back to her bedroom. And my wife came in and told me that Beatrice was upset about something she had seen in a history book. That some history book for school, she was probably reading ahead or bored and so flipping into the next chapters. But some later chapter of a history book had a portion on cannibals. And there was a picture of some cannibals in this history book. And she either asked the teacher or read the caption underneath about cannibals and found out what cannibals are. And she was terrified. And my wife spoke to her. I'm not quite sure what she said, but she said enough that Beatrice was consoled and she went back to her bedroom. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that all of this occurred at night. I mean, I introduced this story by saying a few days ago. But when a child emerges from their bedroom upset about cannibals, or if a child is upset about cannibals at all, you know it's the night in which they are upset about cannibals. You can hear about cannibals, you can hear about diseases, you can hear about genocide, you can hear about the rape and torture of entirely innocent people in the day. And when you encounter these awful facts of history and the human condition during the daytime, you think, wow, that's really awful. And then you move on to the next thought. You move on to the next thing. But at night, at night, all of the horrific stories that you've collected during the day, heard of during the day, all of the terrible thoughts that have occurred to you over the course of the day, you can't move on from them anymore. And there's a kind of perpetual distraction of the daylight. The daylight... Well, daylight makes people happy. The sun makes people happy. The sun gives us joy. And I mean, of course, you can cry during the day, and you can be depressed during the day, and you can experience horror and terror during the day. But more often than not, we collect horrific things during the day 
move on, move on to the next meal, move on to the next task at hand. And then when the night comes, all of these things return to us far more powerful, far more horrific than they were during the day. It's awfully easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime. It's easy to be hard-boiled about awful news stories you've heard, about stories of tsunamis wiping out little towns. Yes, these things happen. It's really awful. That's the way that you respond to them during the day. But at night, you can't be hard-boiled about them. Why? (laughs) Why is this the way that it works, though? Why is it that it's easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime, but not at night? Well, the answer to this really might have to be a little theological. Man wasn't meant to live in the dark. As Augustine points out, somewhere in the city of God... Darkness is the only thing established during the week of creation which is not pronounced good. And so for this reason, Augustine says that the separation of light and dark in the description of the creation week is the war in heaven where a third of the angels are expelled, that that's the separation of light and dark. There are a great many Christian traditions which hold that the fear of the dark is the oldest human fear. And in these Christian traditions, it is believed that up until the fall, there was day and night, but not light and dark. That we have come to connect darkness and night, but that in the original state of creation... Night was really not dark so much as it was just a lesser light. And that the moon rules the night as uh, a sort of tranquil haven from the intensity of the day. But that the night is not pitch black. That there's no moonless midnight blackness that we have now. That the night was really more of this extended period of evening and repose. And that the evening, what we think of as evening or dusk now, is really more like what the night was like before the fall. After Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, they encounter the darkness for the first time. And this is an old Syriac tradition, incidentally. They encounter the dark, they're afraid of the dark. And so it was the angels that taught Adam and Eve how to make fire to comfort themselves with light in the darkness of the night. The darkness has always been understood in terms of death and hell. Light is the natural state of creation, right? Let there be light. This is the moment in which creation begins. Light is the most primal condition of man. It's not darkness first. It's light. And this is because, or this leads us to conclude that darkness is not natural. 
darkness is this aberration. Darkness is a kind of cancer. It's for this reason that we've always thought of darkness as, a, as an icon of the work of the devil, the prince of darkness. Light is the original natural state of creation. Darkness is parasitic. It feeds on light. It tries to devour light. And so man's thoughts are different at night than they are during the day. The condition of night cannot help leading to unnatural thoughts, thoughts of horror or thoughts of judgment. And some of this also has to do with what we do at night between activity and inactivity. There's a passage in Psalms. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. That's what people do when they're on their beds, waiting for the oblivion of sleep to come. You commune with your heart. You speak with your heart. And it's easy to be hard-boiled about things during the daytime because you're not communing with your heart. You're communing with your body. You're communing with your body. You're communing with the world with your body. You're going places, doing things. Your body is a useful tool to you during the day. But your body becomes worthless to you when you're trying to go to sleep. In this period where you're trying to bring on sleep, where you're trying to summon sleep, we summon sleep by retiring our bodies. And our hearts are very grave. Our hearts are weighed down with grief. They're cautious. Our bodies, our bodies want roast beef. Our hearts don't care about it. The concerns of the heart are entirely different than the concerns of the body. The body wants pleasure. The body wants safety. But when you set the body aside and you're just left with your heart, your heart asks you to contemplate your condition in the world. Your ephemerality, your mortality, that's always what the heart, that's what the soul wants you to think about. Your heart is an old man. Your soul is this old man, this grandfather that is not concerned with how happy you are. This grandfather wants you to spend your time well and always brings up the sort of weighty thoughts that make you question yourself. Our hearts do not have comforting advice for us. You commune with your heart upon your bed as you wait for sleep, and your heart issues you dire cautions. During the day, hell is an abstraction. At night, hell becomes terrifyingly real, though. If you're worrying about going to hell, it's dark outside. It's hard to worry about hell when it's bright outside. You worry about lunch 
when the sun is up. You worry about hell when the sun is down. It's hard to be sad while you're eating. You eat all day, drink all day. But at night, you quit eating. Every night, you have a little funeral for yourself. That's what the preparation for sleep is like. We have special clothes that we sleep in, grave clothes. Before you sleep, you ceremoniously wash your body. We prepare our bodies for sleep just like we prepare bodies for death. In the evening, we say our prayers. We say our prayers, I would wager, more often in the evening than in the morning. Like, take a survey of all the people who pray once a day. And I would be willing to bet that more of them pray before bed than just after waking. We have this little ceremony where we go and we tell our families that we love them every night before bed. And as opposed to thinking of this as a as a custom that we perform once a day, I think it's better to view it as preparation for sleep. To prepare for sleep, to prepare for dying, we tell our families that we love them. Like you would tell your family you love them before you went to be... <laughs> before you went to jail, before you went to be executed, before you went to a sort of operation where... There was a low likelihood of success. You tell your family you love them because you might never see them again. So we put on our grave clothes, we bathe our bodies and put on our grave clothes, and we tell our loved ones how much we care for them. And then we lay down in our beds and we turn off the lights and we bury our bodies beneath blankets. And then we lay there like corpses, thinking corpse thoughts, hoping that the oblivion of sleep comes soon so we don't have to keep thinking about being dead. In sleep, just like in death, we feel no more physical pain. Death is a sort of hard separation between body and soul, but sleep is a light separation between body and soul. And when we sleep, we experience the mysteries of bodilessness. You learn just what your body does for your mind when you compare the thoughts of a sleeping man with the thoughts of a waking man. Without your body, your thoughts become exceedingly strange. Your body actually makes it easier to govern your thoughts. Don't often consider this. We often fault our bodies for needing so much pleasure. But your body actually makes it easy to control your thoughts. When you sleep, it's almost impossible to control your thoughts. Bringing this in for a landing is a little difficult. It's awfully easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime, but at night it's another thing. On the one hand, I think that the difficulties of the night are good. 
It is good for your soul to think corpse thoughts for an hour every night or half an hour every night while you're waiting for sleep to come. That's what you do. You wait for sleep to come. Like you wait for the mailman to come. And sometimes he takes forever. And sometimes he comes early. But sleep is almost this thing outside of yourself that you wait for. Hypnos. Psychopomp of sleep. You wait for him to arrive. You wait for Santa to arrive. And you've got as long as it takes for him to arrive. And he comes at different points every night. And I think that it's good to think these corpse-like thoughts to have the hard-boiledness of the day stripped away and to be reduced to this kind of blubbering, fearful creature for a little while before body and soul are separated. At the same time, I want to bring, in the closing moments here, I want to bring one more proverb to bear on this saying from Hemingway. There's a lot of proverbs about sleep. Here's a great one. Here's a great proverb about sleep that makes no mention of sleep. Early to bed and early to rise make a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's an old man saying. It's not what young people want to hear. Young people want to stay up late and avoid the corpse-like thoughts of communing with your heart in your bed. They want to do... They want to engage in the nighttime activities, which are never productive, right? Nothing that you do at night is productive. Not nothing. Most of the stuff that you stay up to do, most of the stuff that you stay up to do after dark is not productive. It's stolen pleasure, most of it. Like, I watch all my TV after dark. In the winter, I stay up, lie in bed, watch stand-up comedy routines. The things that you do after dark are rarely worth doing. This is one of the things that my father used to say to me all the time. And his saying was a bit more generous. Anything you're doing after midnight is probably not worth doing. And it's true. Think of, think of what you would have back if you could just erase everything that you did between 12 at night and 6 in the morning. Think of how much of your soul would be restored to you if you could just remove all those things and replace them with productive sleep. Early to bed and early to rise make a man healthy. They make him physically strong. They, uh, good sleep at night restores your heart. It restores your wealth, which is to say your stomach and your brain. It makes you wise. It satisfies all the realms of your desires. Avoid the night, in other words. Early to bed and early to rise means avoid the night. Avoid the darkness. Don't live for the darkness. Keep a healthy fear of the darkness. And keep a healthy fear of the sort of things people stay up to do 
in the dark. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.